Welcome, everyone, to another edition of BAMS Radio here on this Thursday, January the 18th, uh, as recruiting is uh, definitely going to be uh, the uh, to the forefront with Alabama, the, about three weeks until signing day. Also, a lot of movement on the Alabama coaching staff could have unprecedented turnover uh, on this uh, coaching staff under Nick Saban. Already some uh, interesting things going on. And always, I'm with uh, my two co-hosts, and that is uh, Thomas Watts, who's the wizard behind the curtain, does a great job producing and co-hosting BAMS Radio, uh, has been with it throughout its existence, and I've been fortunate to be a part of it for the last several years. And, of course, our third compatriot, William Redfish Barger, 1992 national champion uh, from 89 to 93, a member of the Crimson Tide. He's still with his ear very close to the ground near the program. Always enjoy hearing his thoughts. But, uh, guys, uh, welcome back. Uh, Welcome, William. Uh, I know it's uh, been frigid throughout uh, the state of Alabama this week, a lot of wintry weather, uh, but it still hasn't stopped the flow of information uh, from Nick Saban in that program. No, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's been a kind of a, a, since the national championship game, um, you know, a little over a week and a half ago, it's been nonstop, um, you know, coaches leaving, people interviewing, um, you know, other coaches being targeted, you know, going through the vetting process with the Alabama compliance department. And, you know, of course, they've got their first big um, recruiting weekend coming up this weekend that coincides with the national championship celebration. So, uh, and they kind of had a, a, a small victory in the basketball program last night as well. So uh, it's been a busy, busy week for all things Alabama athletics. Certainly has, as uh, the Iron Bowl of basketball first chapter was last night in Coleman Coliseum. The Crimson Tide, 76-71 winners, snapping the 14-game winning streak of the Auburn Tigers, the longest in the country at the time. Uh, they were the last unbeaten team in the SEC without Colin Sexton. Alabama led, of course, uh, by uh, the 16 points of, uh, of Dazon Ingram. He has a heck of a game, but really the story was John Petty uh, from our community here in Huntsville, and I'm, of course, from the Rocket City. Watched John since he was a freshman. 27 points, game high for John, including eight threes. Had 10 threes earlier this year to set the school record against Alabama A&M, but made another run at it last night. A great game shooting the basketball. Also 11 points, seven rebounds, four assists from a great player, uh, like uh, Herb Jones, and the, the, the true freshman who stepped up and played some point in the place of Colin Sexton. But uh, just a really good win for Alabama, especially considering Sexton did not play. That's 19 points per game uh, that, weren't, that weren't there. And an unexpected contribution from uh, the recovering, I say that, Dante Hall, who had missed the previous game against LSU and was thought to be out for another couple of games after having wrist surgery five days ago. But, you know, the, the rivalry means a lot to him. He had a soft cast on his uh, hand. It wasn't much of a factor offensively. He had one dunk, but had five rebounds, a block shot, and uh, gave Alabama nearly 20 minutes of action, just telling uh, Avery Johnson he wanted to play. It meant a lot to him. So inspired the team, and Alabama gets a big basketball win now and looks to uh, take their SEC winning streak to four Saturday at 730 uh, at home after the parade, the national championship parade, uh, against uh, the Mississippi State Bulldogs and Ben Howland. Is the Alabama – now right up near the top of the SEC standings behind the Florida Gators and the Auburn Tigers, but they are 4-2 and two overall and playing much better basketball than uh, just over a couple weeks ago when they uh, just did not look very good against Georgia. But that was the last uh, kind of uh, uh, thing that went right for the University of Georgia in a way because Alabama, of course, beating them for the national championship and claiming the 17th uh, title in fifth and nine years under Nick Saban and now Coach Saban. Uh, almost uh, hitting the reset button. He hit the reset button in 2013, but William doing so again as I think we're going to probably see unprecedented turnover in this coaching staff on both sides of the ball, especially defensively. Well, before we jump off into the football, uh, Drew, I wanted to you know get your take on this this player. Um, I've sure. met him a couple times in person uh, back when he was in high school, and the first thing that I've noticed about him uh, when I saw him um, in his early action earlier in the season was how much um, size they've packed on him. I mean, he was a – I'm talking about uh, uh, the Reese kid from here in Pelham. Um, he was a very gangly, skinny kid uh, this time last year. And I, I, I don't want to speculate as to how much weight they've packed on him. But they've certainly transformed his body. And I thought he was a guy that was going to, you know, take a year or two to, 
you know, to develop to the point where they would get quality minutes out of them. But I, I've been impressed with the, the minutes that they've been able to get out of Alex Reese, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was he was really key uh, in that win, a road win against LSU. Uh, and uh, he, he, he did a heck of a job shooting the basketball uh, and uh, came off the bench and, uh, his, and, and hit a big three. He hit another three last night near the end of the half. He's been giving them a lot of quality minutes uh, and uh, really did a nice job in the Rocket City Classic against Mercer as well. Uh, and uh, he's, uh, he's, he's gotten back into the rotation. Of course, uh, the injury to Dante Hall also necessitated some of that. But he's a guy that they probably have. I think when he signed with Alabama, he was probably around 225. I think he's around – they put on about 35 pounds on him. I think he's getting close to 260 right now. Now, he, now he's not the most explosive kid from the standpoint of getting off the floor, but what he can do is uh, he'll he'll remind you of Robert Ory from the standpoint of that he can face and uh, drill shots from the mid-range, which he's already done, and uh, he did that a couple times against LSU, and from the three-point line, especially from the corners. He can be a matchup problem. He is not afraid. The thing that I liked about him, and and he did it again last night, he's been very aggressive offensively. He does not look timid, does not look scared. Uh, you know, I, I talked to his high school coach on my show, also had him on my show, uh, talking ball in Huntsville. And Alex Reese is a guy that uh, I think is going to continue just to get better uh, once he gets stronger and, and kind of keeps kind of growing into that body. And I think uh, his ability to face and shoot, uh, and I think before his career is over, he'll be an 80% free throw shooter. He'll be a guy that can probably shoot 40% from the three-point line. He's going to be a matchup problem because he'll be able to bring a lot of power forwards away from the basket uh, and hit perimeter shots. And I think he's also done a good job rebounding. He's become a valuable role player for this team. And what's been amazing is, of course, we knew Colin Sexton and John Petty were going to be great players. And they have, for the most part, lived up to all their billing. But the other three guys, I mentioned Herb Jones last night. You mentioned Alex Reese. uh, And Galen Smith, the last few games, has kind of taken on that role of Riley Norris of doing a lot of the dirty work. It's the, every bit the, the best recruiting class I've ever seen at Alabama. All of them can play. And Avery Johnson, if you're an Alabama basketball fan, you got to be super excited because he's just now starting to get this roster turned around. There was a lot of consternation when they lost uh, to Georgia in such a decisive manner, and they did not play well at all. Did not play well against Texas as well. But it's because they're a young team, and they've had a lot of injuries. Braxton Key was out of the lineup for a long time. He still needs to continue getting better, but this team is improving. Uh, I think Avery Johnson, I really like their coaching staff. I thought he outcoached Bruce Pearl last night. Uh, Bruce Pearl has done a great job with that Auburn team, but I think Alabama right now, if they continue on this path, if they can get this win Saturday, got a winnable game, not an easy game, but uh, uh, one where they should have a chance to win in Oxford, Mississippi, and then you got Oklahoma and Trey Young coming. Trey Young, probably, along with Colin Sexton, the two best freshman guards in college basketball. Uh, That's a made-for-TV matchup on January 27th. Uh, I'm expecting a sellout in Coleman Coliseum like we saw last night for that, and hopefully better weather. So uh, Alabama basketball has got a chance to make the NCAA tournament, and this was the the plan that – and the vision that Avery Johnson had going into year three, and I think they're back on track right now. They just need to keep improving. Well, what I wanted to ask you specifically and get your opinion on this, because I freely admit I know less than nothing about basketball, but something that really jumped out to me, you know, through this part of the season when I've watched uh, Reese, am I wrong to say that that for a big man, um, that he's pretty fluid and adept at at driving the ball up the floor and has has pretty, pretty good ball handling skills for a big man? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, he he has shown he did it a couple times last night, the ability to put it on the floor a couple times and get to the rim uh, and finish. I think it'll be a, a, an aspect of his game that will continue to improve because, for one thing, I really like John Pelfrey and his ability to develop big men because I've got to tell you, uh, I, I saw Dante Hall at Luverne High School when he came out of high school when he was a junior and when he was a senior, and he was raw. And – he has really improved his offensive skills. Uh, he, you know, he really couldn't shoot the ball too much last night because of his uh, wrist injury, but he's been probably the most improved player on the team. Improved to the point where people were whispering about the NBA. Uh, you know, so he has a chance. So I think if John Pelfrey continues to work with uh, Alex Reese and Galen Smith, because Galen Smith, when I first saw him when they, they when they went to Canada, I wasn't sure. You know, I thought he looked a little timid. Uh, wasn't sure about his hands, but he's gotten a lot better. Still needs to work on his free throw shooting. 
uh, but shows an, an excellent low post game. I think John Pelfrey is going to improve all these big guys, and I think uh, that uh, Alex Reese, uh, once he continues to you know uh, reshape his body and with his ability to be a perimeter shooter, but he also has a high basketball IQ, and if he keeps working on the rest of his game, uh, kind of you know adds a little bit of uh, a, a step through move and. And as you said, continues to get better at putting it on the floor and finishing at the rim. I, again, he's not an above-the-rim guy, so I think he'll be a four-year college player. But I think he can be a very, very good scorer because uh, he can do the mid-range. He can do uh, the three-point stuff. And he'll add more to his repertoire. So I, I think Alex Reese, I think the, uh, the sky's the limit. The, the knock on him coming out of high school was people were wondering if he would be a physical enough player and step up and bang around and be able to – to play with other big men, but so far he's shown that propensity to do so. And again, when you see somebody 260 pounds and six foot nine, they usually can't shoot the ball like Alex Reese. So uh, he has a unique skill set, and I think a bright future for Alabama. Well, and of course, and don't get me wrong, you know, I I, I turned the uh, the Georgia game off, you know, early in the second half myself. But uh, you know, I, I certainly wasn't. Uh, because uh, I'm a huge Avery Johnson fan, but but of course, um, the 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 fickle Alabama fan base, the way they are wanting to string somebody up after you know one bad performance, you know I, I really just had to shake my head at you know some of the stuff that I read online after that game. You know, people thought that you know Avery Johnson can't coach; he's not the right guy for the job. You know, Anthony Grant's doing better. Where is he at? Dayton or somewhere? Um, Absolutely, yeah, Dayton. Yeah, you know, I, I just, I, you know, I just, you know, I should be immune to it because I've, you know, I've lived through it, you know, for so many years on the internet with football stuff. But I just, you know, just had to turn my tablet off on Sunday after that Georgia game with, you know, like I said, I mean, you know, he is, you know, basically where Nick Saban was, you know, with the football team. Um, and I, I do know that you can, you know, change your fortune around quicker in basketball than you can with a football team because there's so many more moving parts. But I just just had to shake my head at all the, you know, the people that were dinging Avery and questioning not whether he could coach. Man, he, he's been a breath of fresh air for me as a, you know, probably a, a what, what most people would consider a bad bammer. Um, you know, I'm, I'm football and everything else is, is a sideshow for me, but I've always had the opinion, Drew, that Alabama, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to, you know, be a student athlete at Alabama when uh, the football and basketball programs um, were both very competitive. Um, you know, I spent two years living next door to uh, Latrell Sprewell and Robert Ory in the dorm. And uh, I've always, you know, had the the thought in the back of my mind, um, especially when you consider what a, a piss poor athletic director Jeremy Foley was from a um, spending money to improve facilities. Now he made some very good coaching hires. I'm not going to take that away from him, but if, if, if Florida was able to do um, what they did with urban Meyer and uh, Billy Donovan, um, I don't think there's any reason um, why Alabama can't do the same thing. They should be competitive and, you know, at the forefront of both big sports, in my opinion. And I think Avery Johnson is the right guy for the job. Oh, I think he is, too. And I think Greg Byrne knows that. And he's going to continue to give Avery Johnson the, the resources he needs. And uh, that's why I tried to tell people. I had somebody actually text me and said, uh, if Avery doesn't make the tournament, don't you agree he should be fired? And I said, absolutely Hell not. No. That's, that's asinine. And he goes, why? We're talented. I said, talent doesn't equal wins, dude. I was like, you have to, you've had injuries. You've got a young guys. I know we've got one NBA guy in Colin Sexton, but guess what? The last time Alabama had a first-round pick, a first-round pick, was 2001, and that was Gerald Wallace. It has been a long, long time, and we haven't. And Alabama yeah. now does have talent, but they're just starting to get it. And I, and I told him, I said, I think Alabama right now has a very, very, very good chance to sign the two best players in the state of Alabama next year. One of them was at the, in the arena last night in Trendon Watford at Mountain Brook. The other one, Kyra Lewis, yep. has already been there several times from Hazel Green. As I told him, I said, if you fire Avery Johnson, you're not getting either one of them. 
was like, think about it long term instead of just he's got to be far because we didn't beat Georgia. It's one game. Yep. Just calm down. It's not like football. You're using a football mentality. And, of course, uh, this same gentleman went on Tider Insider last night before the game and said Alabama would lose by 15 to 20 to Auburn. Of course, he looked like a horse <laughs> ass by the end of the night, and everybody told him to never come back, even though uh, he did, you know, at the end of the night, uh, come back to the board. And, 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 and you know what, Drew? I, I would tell whoever that individual is that went on the rampage on Tider Insider, um, because I, this this was – I didn't, you know, listen to it uh, – earlier today but kind of being stuck in traffic to get home and, and hook up with you and thomas for, for the show tonight um i was able to hear an interview that bruce pearl gave after the game last night i mean i ain't gonna lie to you right um i, I got a lot of respect for that guy the, the comments that he made about um avery johnson as a coach and the alabama program um i thought that was um the, the way a true competitor um, you know, when you consider what he went into that game with, you know, the, the win streak that they were on mm-hmm. and, you know, losing the, the two players that he's lost, um, I thought his comments about, um, you know, whether or not Colin Sexton was going to be ready for the game, uh, you know, that, that's, the, that's the most athletic and most talented team that they've played so far this year. I thought he was very gracious um, in the, the loser role of the head coach, you know, in, you know, what's become a, a very big robbery basketball wise in this state. Um, well, and I, I've, I've got a newfound respect for Bruce Pearl based on the comments that I heard less than 30 minutes ago. Well, and, uh, and I, you know, I played some of those comments on my show today and Bruce, uh, I've never been a huge fan of his because I've always kind of thought he was a little overrated, but I'll say this, he did do a very nice job at Tennessee uh, he's done as good a job as you can at Auburn. It's a very tough place to win, uh, especially this year when you lose because he was going to build his team around Austin Wiley, Wiley ineligible. Uh, but they uh, and then you, you don't have Denzel Purefoy, who they waited a full year to get last year and who really killed Alabama in, in uh, Coleman Coliseum a year ago. Uh, but you know, but he's been able to reshape this team, get him to play really hard, and uh, you know Bryce Brown's really improved into one of the best guards in the SEC and. Uh, you know, uh, Mustafa Haran's very good. And w- what it is, it's it's good for the state because both teams are good. And this has a chance yeah. to be the first time since 2003 where they both make the NCAA tournament. Auburn has set themselves up very nicely. Their schedule is very favorable. They could win the SEC in the regular season. And this league is much better. So, uh, you know, Bruce Pearl, he, uh, right now he'd be coach of the year in this league. I mean, uh, this is an Alabama podcast and people aren't going to hear that. But he's done a very nice job coaching and, uh, Alabama got a really good win last night, and I think Avery was really fired up. Now they just need to get Colin healthy and get, uh, uh, you know, uh, De- uh, Dante Hall healthy and see what they can do. I mean, I still think they can, you know, win 11, 12 games in the SEC and be a solid seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but they're going to need to win, I think, at least a couple more road games. I think they need to win about three and hold serve at home. So we'll see. This league is uh, very, uh, very much improved. It's very, it's a very good league. I think you could, I definitely think seven teams are doable in the NCAA tournament. And from where they came just a couple of years ago, Greg Sankey uh, has got to be really pleased. But this is a perfect segue when I bring up Greg Sankey because he's been a topic <laughs> of conversation uh, this week. And trust me, I think most Alabama fans kind of cringe when they think about this. But the beautiful thing about Nick Saban is he doesn't care. He wants to win first and foremost. And, of course, a big topic as, uh, of this week has been, I, you know, I got a phone call, uh, you know, uh, early in this week. Uh, it was either Monday or Tuesday. I think it was Monday, actually, uh, after, uh, you know, we had, we had our show and uh, I had had my reaction Monday show. And I got a phone call from a good friend of this program, and uh, he will remain nameless, but he called me and he goes, you freeze is in the building. And I said, you have got to be kidding me. He goes, no, of course not. But he said, and, uh, and, and uh, you had the exact same reaction as Rodney Orr. And I said, and I said well, I, I can't believe that. I, I was just telling people on Twitter the night before that uh, I didn't think Hugh Freeze would uh, have a role at Alabama. But obviously, we could tell when Nick Saban coached against Hugh Freeze, he had a lot of respect for him. Uh, and, and he did uh, go through a, a lengthy NCAA investigation and, you know, and his program got slammed and he was dismissed for, you know, that and, of course, conduct off the field. 
I quite frankly still have a problem with him being on the on-field staff right now because of the recruiting angle. But I will say this. We have seen Nick Saban do this with Lane Kiffin, but we've also seen him do it with Tosh Lupoy. Uh, he let Jeremy Pruitt. Jeremy, Jeremy was not in trouble, but he, he moved Jeremy Pruitt up through the organization. What I'm, the, the angle I'm going at is I could see Nick Saban adding Hugh Freeze to this organization as an off-the-field analyst for a year and then bringing him on to the on-field staff in 2019. But, William, I wanted to get your thoughts on Hugh Freeze. He's a polarizing guy, but there is no doubting his offensive acumen in moving the football uh, and putting together an offense like he did at Ole Miss that gave Alabama a lot of problems. Well, I'll say this, and I'm trying to think of the, the best way to put this. Number one, um, my, my take on Hugh Freeze is this. You know, if his wife and his family has forgiven him for what he did, um, allegedly, um, for, from a uh, off-the-field standpoint, um, that's good enough for me. Um, whatever his NCAA indiscretions were, you know, say what you want, but the NCAA didn't really punish him very harshly compared to what it could have been. Um, I heard an interview with him um, that he did with Clay Travis, and I would suggest that everybody go listen to it. Um, you know, I don't know if the guy, you know, truly has a contrite heart, um, and he may be the, the best snake oil salesman, uh, you know, since, since the world was created, because um, he made me believe. And, you know, I, I've kind of got a little different take on it than a lot of Alabama fans do, I, you know, because I know for a fact that Nick Saban is fighting very hard um, for him to be on the field this year. Um, I think the, the offensive analyst position is, is the backup plan. And, you know, I think, because uh, I do have a lot of experience and knowledge of, of how things work in the southeast with, with recruiting, um, you know, I think the guy, if he can, you know, verbally, um, you know, talk about his story, uh, you know, in, in southern, you know, living rooms, households with recruits, the way he did on Clay Travis's radio show, you know, I, I think he would be a bonus for Alabama in recruiting. Um, you know, we, we've seen Nick Saban rehab a lot of other people, and this is the way I look at it, Drew. Um, you know, if Nick Saban doesn't hire Hugh Freeze, um, I can I can promise you Kirby Smart's going to try to. I can promise you Gus Malzahn's going to try to. And where I think this is where this is all coming from is is from from two different angles. At number one, um, I, I don't know how many people are tuned into this, but you know, basically Hugh Freeze should have beaten Nick Saban three years in a row. And a byproduct of this is what not only what he did to Nick Saban, but what he has done in his last two meetings to Kirby Smart's defenses. Um, the, the first meeting being the 2015 night game where, you know, Nick made the mistake of starting Cooper Bateman instead of Jake Coker. And, um, you know, that played out. And then, you know, last year, um, when when Old Miss, you know, beat the ever living hell out of Kirby Smart in Georgia at Georgia. In those last two meetings, Hugh Freeze put up uh I think it's eighty eight points and nine hundred and fifty yards of offense on a Kirby Smart coach defense. And the other angle I see is, you know, Nick Saban being the you know, the grand master of coaching. You know, he, he knows that this guy found a chink in Nick's armor's defense. And, you know, if you can't beat him, hire him. And, and I think that's what he's really looking for here with, with this Hugh Freeze hire is, you know, this guy found, um, you know, a, a hole, uh, you know, in my defense, specifically on the back end and in the, in the secondary and was able to exploit it, um, to, you know, three different times. And, uh, you know, it came out to, you know, two wins and probably a, uh, another one that should have been a win. 
And, uh, you know, that, that's why he wants him on board. And, you know, they've got a good relationship. They've been friends for, you know, several years. Um, you know, and I've got another angle that, uh, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about. Um, you know, and I don't know who the powers to be are that are, you know, causing Nick problems, you know, making this hire on whether it's debatable between being an offensive analyst or an on-the-field coach. Um, but but it, that concerns me a little bit um, that, that there's some people still in the athletic department or in the university administration, you know, that consider it because what I'm getting floated back to me is there's some people in the hiring process that are concerned about the PR hit. And I'm trying to figure out what the PR hit would be. Uh, you know, number one, Nick doesn't allow his assistants to, to talk to the media. Number one. Number two, I mean, you know, I guess Gary Danielson and Brad Nestler could, you know, put a camera on Hugh Freeze, whether he's on the sideline or in the press box uh, in 2018, and maybe talk about it. But just how big of a PR hit would it be? And at the end of the day, I think that's, I guess, one of the things that concerns me so much about, you know, Nick Saban's tenure at Alabama is, you know, that's what him and Terry Saban are about. It's, it's giving people second chances and, you know, come, come, come work for us. We're going to show you how to do it the right way and rehabilitate you. You know, they, they've done it with Lance Thompson. They've done it with Lane Kiffin. They've done it with Steve Sarkeesian. You know, look, they, they, they've done it with Tosh Lapoy, um, who was fired from, from Washington for paying for a recruit to get qualified in the storefront environment, uh, you know, qualifying factory. Um, you know, this is, you know, pretty much common knowledge. You know, the guy that's, that's fixing to be the offensive coordinator, uh, Mike Loxley, had a sexual harassment suit filed against him at, at uh, New Mexico. And, you know, it's pretty common knowledge that he punched one of his assistants in the face. So, why is Hugh Freeze the target of all the, the, you know, animosity that's floating around out there? I know this. Um, Nick Saban has proven to me early and often in his tenure at Alabama um, that he knows how to run a big-time college football program, um, that he's always looking for ways to be better. And part of that is bringing people into the fold that have proven to Nick that they might be better than him at something. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt is somebody that's better at Nick Saban than a lot of things, or excuse me, a couple of things. So, you know, I, I just really want to see how this, you know, Hugh Freeze hire plays out. Um, you know, and, you know, if, if somebody inside that athletic department, or whether it's at the AD level, the president level, the, the commissioner of the SEC level causes problems with this. Um, I've got a huge problem with that. Um, you know, he's redefined the way that college football programs are run. Um, he's made the University of Alabama hundreds of millions of dollars. And just leave the guy alone and let him do what he wants to do. You know, there's, there's people out there that, that, that have their religious pitchforks out, and they want to start poking. And they're probably the ones that are cheating on their wives or, or embezzling money from the companies that they work for. Just just let Nick Saban do what he does best. That's all I'm asking. And very interesting. Uh, I'm kind of polarized by Freeze as well. I, I do think he's a heck of a coach. And nobody's done at Ole Miss what he did. I mean, he won the Sugar Bowl. Obviously, they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar. There's no question about that. But there's also no question – that I think uh, it had been going on there for a long time. He just took it to the next level uh, and did what he had to do. But uh, he's far from the only one skirting the rules in college football. Uh, that's just the way it is. It's almost like the old mantra, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And uh, so, I mean, they, though he, they were the ones that got caught. Uh, but with Freeze, you're right. I mean, the only sanctions he got really from the NCAA that are significant are if he took a head coaching job, whenever that may happen, he would face a two-game suspension, but as a coordinator and assistant, he wouldn't face any sanctions. And, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, William, it does look like Mike Loxley is going to be the offensive coordinator. Uh, I, You know, when, when he was flirting with FSU with Willie Taggart to be the OC, 
he was going to be OC QB coach, but not call the plays. Uh, are, do you think uh, that that's what we'll see with uh, with Loxley, except for calling the plays? Do you think he's going to be QB coach and OC and call and uh, and, and take over as the play caller? Because I know one of the things he's been wanting to do is get back to working with QBs. There has been some talk of people being worried about that and wanting Chris Winkie to maybe be the quarterback coach. How do you see this kind of all working out with uh, Hugh Freeze, uh, Chris Winkie, uh, also, uh, and 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 uh, and 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 Mike Loxley? Because uh, Chris Winkie had opportunities to maybe go work for Jeremy Pruitt or go back to his alma mater at FSU, and he did not, and that's probably for a good reason. We know now why Mike Loxley did not, because Nick Saban basically told Coach Loxley, you're next if Brian Dable goes back to the NFL, which he did. So kind of talk about how you see the pieces maybe fitting together. You know, Drew, in a perfect world, what I would love to see is, um, you know, Mike Loxley is the offensive coordinator. Um, You know, and I think this is all kind of predicated on where Nick Saban wants to put that 10th coach. I think you have to throw that caveat out there. Um, you know, because I, I think there is a, a strong chance that maybe they lose uh, Carl Dunbar after National Signing Day as the D-line coach. So there's there's a lot of moving parts. And I think it has to all start and stop with where Nick Saban wants to put that 10th, you know, additional assistant. But in a perfect world from an offensive standpoint, you know, I would love to see Mike Loxley as the offensive coordinator. Um you know, Chris Winkie is the quarterback's coach. And maybe, you know, Hugh Freeze as the, uh, you know, tight ends coach, passing game coordinator. I, 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 that's the label that you would want to put on it. Um, now, that would put some limitations on what Nick Saban can do on the defensive side of the football as far as that 10th coach. But, you know, I think that would be – Uh, you know, huge. You know, I think a lot of people are, you know, dinging Mike Loxley on, you know, his head head coaching record. But, you know, he's had some good offenses um, at at tough places to win. Uh, Did some good things at at Maryland, did some good things at Illinois. You know, he certainly never had the uh, full toolbox of, of offensive talent that he's got at Alabama this year. But, you know, and I know I know what the response will be to this is, you know, what does it actually mean and does anybody pay attention to what goes on in an A-Day game? But I was very impressed um, with him being the play caller last year, uh, you know, of, of the white team. Um, you know, when Tua Tagliavoa, you know, threw for 300 yards and Jerry Judy um, had 124 yards and two touchdowns in the spring game. Um, you know, Tua's stats got a little skewed once he flipped over and, you know, went one one versus one, uh, you know, offense versus defense. But, you know, Drew, to be honest with you, I think a lot of people are, are reading way too much into this thing, um, you know, with, with, with Mike Loxley's, you know, track record. Um, you know, when, when you look at the, the, the pieces of the puzzle that he's got to work with this year, um, I don't think Major Applewhite could screw it up. Um, it's just that that, that they've got so many um, elite football players. You know, if if things work out where, you know, let's just you know speculate a little bit here, um, where Alex Leatherwood's at left tackle, Jonah Williams at center, Jedrick Wills at right tackle. Um, you know, with with Tua um, at quarterback, Damian Harris at running back, and then. You know, Devonta Smith, Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs. There's eight players right there that I just mentioned that at least one recruiting service had rated a five-star player. And that is unheard of in today's world of college football. That's a great point. I mean, somebody asked me about, uh, he said, uh, make me feel better about Mike Loxley as the uh, offensive coordinator last night, and that's what I basically did. I rattled off. I said Tua Tungavailoa, uh, Damian Harris, Najee Harris, Josh Jacobs. Uh, you know, uh, and then uh, the and then to have uh, you know the depth like that, Brian Robinson, who is still completely underrated. Uh, and then you got the receivers, Jerry Judy, 
uh, you know, uh, Henry Ruggs the uh, third, and Devonta Smith, and then Miller Forstall coming back at tight end, Hale Hentges, uh, Irv Smith. Totally forgot about Forstall. Yeah, and there you go. He'll be a redshirt sophomore. So, and then you, you talk about that offensive line. We could see a guy like Jonah Williams at center, uh, left guard returning Ross Pierce Baker, uh, right guard could be a battle between Lester Cotton, in my opinion, and Matt Womack, because I could see Jedrick Wills at right tackle, Alex Featherwood at left tackle. It's just, it's a just a, a cavalcade of weapons. And of course, I had someone else ask me about Jalen Hurts and. I still think, you know, I'd love to see him change positions, but I think he's going to want to play quarterback. I can't blame him for that. Uh, I do think in the end that he would probably transfer. But, I mean, the thing is, someone asked me, well, isn't uh, Mike Loxley in favor of Jalen Hurts? I said, no, he helped, you know, that Brian Dable installed his own read. But he and uh, Mike Mike Loxley and uh, Brian Dable and several players went to Nick Saban at halftime wanting the quarterback change. And Dable and Loxley were also wanting the quarterback change in the first half against Georgia. So, I think Michael Oxley knows talent. Uh, there's one thing, William. You followed recruiting a long time, and the first time I heard Michael Oxley's name was back in the early 2000s with Ron Zook at Florida, and he's always been able to, uh, you know, recruit at a very elite level, and he is responsible uh, almost solely for the for the best player in this class, who I know you're extremely high on, and that's the freak known as a, a Yabi Anoma. <laughs> well, and you know, Drew, the, 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 I guess that's probably been the most – controversial topic on the internet since the national championship game and I don't know who started this rumor um, but they're a full functioning mongoloid that 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 uh, Mike Loxley was the guy that was in Nick Saban's ear um, to to you know keep playing Jalen Hurts I know without a doubt this is 100% true you can cash this check Mike Loxley, and you got to look at the position that he was in all this season um, with, the, with the position group that he was trying to manage. And, you know, you could read Calvin Ridley's body language. You could see the tweets that Jerry Judy put out. You know, those wide receivers were frustrated. But I know for a fact that as early as after the LSU game, Mike Loxley approached Nick Saban in a staff meeting and said, it's time to start playing Tua. Does he have a, a really close relationship with Jalen Hurts? Yes, he does. But he's a smart enough guy in his career, um, wants to survive and succeed. Um, you know, he, he knew who the best quarterback was. Look, I, 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 I come into this conversation um, and have been accused on the internet of being the biggest Jalen Hurts ball washer on the internet, and I am. But we had this conversation, Drew, after the Tennessee game in late October. Um, you know, it, it, was, it was so funny because I can go back now and say that you and I were talking about this transition um, in the second half versus Tennessee and the way it, it almost, you know, uh, morphed itself into the national championship game because I relate the pick six that Tua threw um, against Tennessee down there on the goal line. You know, game-changing play. Um, but who cares after what he did after that? The sack that he took um, in, in overtime against Georgia, same thing, man. You know, that's something that he's got to improve on. Um, it was a ridiculous sack to take. But, you know, look at what he did on the next play. Um, so, you know, I, I just I, – I've seen this and I've watched this over and over, you know, for the last 11 years now with Nick Saban. And, you know, anybody that questions the guy, I would suggest you go read, um, which is a wonderful article. Um, that Sports Illustrated came out with this week on the relationship between Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. Man, when I read that, I was like, you know, this this absolutely reinforces everything um, that I've seen, you know, with my own two eyes, you know, with Nick Saban since 2007. And, you know, people think that, you know, this, this Loxley hired offensive coordinator is Nick settling. It's not settling. Uh, Damian Harris and, and, and the players did not make this decision for Nick Saban. 
Um, now, does continuity come into play here a little bit? Yes, it does. But I don't think Nick Saban would hire uh, somebody to, to put into the position of a coordinator spot if he didn't think that, that he could be pretty good at doing what he's doing. Well, you know, hell, let's, hit, let's hit the rewind button, uh, Drew, for this time last year. You know, Brian Dayball was a three-time loser as an offensive coordinator uh, in the NFL before Nick Saban hired him. Correct. So, you know, I, I just think that, you know, Drew, it's, you know, you have to do it every day uh, on the radio. And I don't know how you do it. I don't know how Rodney Orr does what he does. Um, you know, it's dealing with the most fickle fan base in college football. And, you know, just, just let it play out. I think that, um, you know, when Mike Loxley has had some talent to work with, you know, in his past, and let's be honest, he didn't have a lot of talent to work with when he was at New Mexico. Uh, but when he's had some talent to work with, he's put up some pretty good numbers as an offensive coordinator. Um, he certainly never had the amount of talent that he's going to have uh, in 2018 at Alabama. And uh, I, I can count on one hand the number of bad hires. And I've only got five fingers. I don't have an extra appendage. Um, I can count on one hand the number of bad assistant coaching hires that Nick Saban has made since he's been the head coach at Alabama. And, you know, I'll, I'll name a couple of them. Um, and, and shit, he won a national championship with one of them is Doug Nussmeyer's the offensive coordinator. Um, you know, a guy like Greg Brown is the DB's coach. He, he has rectified those mistakes very quickly. So I'm excited, man. I mean, we're, um, you know, two and a half months away from spring practice. Um, you know, I can't wait to see what they come up with as a staff. And I still think, like you talked about, Drew, the, you know, the theme on this show is um, there's still a lot of moving parts on that coaching staff. There are, and I'm, I'm anxious to see uh, kind of, you know, what happens uh, with, the, with the staff if he goes with six offensive coaches and, and four defensive or five and five. I'd been hearing five and five, so it made me wonder. Uh, and I know that there's there, that, 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 that kind of interesting spot is the wide receivers coach. I mean, uh, when Mike Loxley had the tragedy losing his son earlier in the football season in practice, Chris Winkie took over that group. But Winky's also very good at, with quarterbacks. Mike Loxley's wanting to coach quarterbacks. So interested to see where Winky kind of fits in here. And, and then, of course, Hugh Freeze, uh, whether he'll be on field or off. Uh, I could see Hugh Freeze perhaps being the wide receivers coach, especially uh, if, they, if they don't. Uh, you know, uh, it, uh, it, there's a name, Zach Smith, that's come up at Ohio State. I, I'll just I'll, I'll put it out on this podcast. He's the recruiting coordinator uh, for Urban Meyer. Uh, and is a recruiting machine. You know, there's there's some rumors about perhaps him coming aboard at Alabama after signing day, but that would probably be a very difficult hire. Uh, but uh, Hugh Freeze has an offensive acumen. Uh, you know, and I was wondering, William, I've thought about this. I thought at some point in his tenure that Hugh Freeze was the play caller, uh, and let uh, and, and then of course uh, let Dan Warner take over that that part of it. But I know he worked very closely with the quarterbacks. He was always he's always been an offensive guy. Uh, so I could see him perhaps working closely with Mike Loxley, uh, because from what I understand, Hugh Freeze just wants back into coaching. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he I think he knew he wasn't going to get a head coaching job right away. And who better to rehab you? Uh, look at Lane Kiffin now. I mean, he's uh, got the best program in Conference USA. Uh, they're they're going to play Oklahoma next year in their opening game. That'll get a lot of pub. Uh, Lane just hired Wesley Neighbors as his safeties coach. Uh, with the uh, big-time assist from Connor Neighbors, his brother who's on the strength and conditioning staff. So, And then now, Lane, Kendall Bryles goes to Houston, another former Alabama analyst. Charlie Weiss Jr. will be the youngest offensive coordinator in college football at 24 years old. Uh, so, yeah, Lane Kiffin's going to become a hot coach. And who better to rehab Hugh Freeze than Nick Saban? <laughs> well, and, you know, I know you and I have talked about this privately, um, over the years, but something that I want to share on this podcast that I don't know if a lot of people know about, um, and it, maybe I am being a little bit, you know, selfish on, on the possibilities of, 
uh, Chris Winkie, um, you know, being promoted to an on-the-field role. In November of 2000, and, excuse me, in November of 1989, I was actually Chris Winkie's host on his official visit to Alabama. And for, for people that don't understand, he is basically my generation's um, version of Jim Thorpe. Uh, coming out of high school, he had college scholarship offers in college football, college hockey, and college baseball. Um, he had already been named to the U.S. Uh, Olympic hockey team and the U.S. Olympic baseball team. And straight out of high school, he had pro offers from the NHL in hockey and Major League Baseball. And I sat out at Homer Smith's house um, at the North River Yacht Club and watched him commit verbally to Homer Smith to come to Alabama. Um, the, the thing that will always endear me to Chris Winkie is we got into an altercation at the Theta Chi fraternity house on his official visit. Um, and the two of us basically beat the piss out of the whole uh, pledge class at the Theta Chi house. Um, I'm going to go down a dark alley, and I want that guy in my foxhole every time. Uh, I think the guys, you know, I, I'm a big fan of having somebody coach a position that played that position at a high level, whether it was at, you know, a power five conference um, at the college level or the NFL level. I think there's a lot to be said there. And this guy um, ain't scared. Um, I'd go anywhere with him. And I really want to see him get a spot on this staff. Well, you know, maybe from a little bit of, of uh uh, shallow uh, surface issues. He could be a good source for the show, but um, I, I really think he is good at what he does. I mean, he he started the program, the football program at IMG. Um, you know, had a, had a, a short stint um, as an NFL coach, but he, he is a phenomenal athlete in so many different factors. You know, you saw him win the Heisman Trophy. Um, at, at the late stage, I mean, I think he was almost 30 years old when he won it. But, you know, I, I think that if you could – if Nick Saban gets his way, and I do think this is what he's pushed the agenda he's pushing, is, you know, a Loxley, Winky, Hugh Freeze trifecta on offense. Um, and, and, you know, I also think, you know, the, the agenda that Nick's pushing with Hugh Freeze is this. Um, he, he should have beaten Nick three times, you know, three games in a row. Um, he, he found he found a chink in Nick's armor, specifically in the back end of the defense in his coverages. That's what he was able to exploit. And if you know anything about Nick Saban, or if you read that Nick Saban Bill Belichick article in Sports Illustrated, which I think is phenomenal you can see the angle that Nick's trying to sell with that. Um, he, he wants to learn what Hugh Freeze found in, 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 in his coverages that he was able to exploit, and he wants to incorporate that into his program. But at the same time, um, Nick Saban knows if, if he doesn't get Hugh Freeze on his staff, Kirby Smart and Gus Malzahn are going to roll out the red carpet and bring him in their program. That's a great point, and uh, I think I've heard that he does want to keep you freeze away from Auburn, especially, uh, and wants to bring him in. So he will be on the staff in some capacity. I I, I can't, especially after what Greg Sankey pulled with the Maurice Smith situation, uh, which was uh, just utter garbage. Uh, I not had totally that, forgotten about that, Drew, until this this freeze deal popped up. Yeah, and so Nick Saban, he's going to basically tell uh, Greg Sankey uh, to go away. Uh, and uh, and he he has and no he say. Should. Yes, he has no say in in how the programs are run. And I, I would think Hugh Freeze is going to end up in this program in some form or fashion. And and I tend to kind of agree. I think Zach Smith would be great, but uh, it's going to be tough to get him away from the Ohio State University in the end. And I would not be surprised if Hugh Freeze uh, ended up on the on-field staff. I still 
would lean toward offensive analysts, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me uh, if he ended up maybe the wide receivers coach at Alabama. Uh, and Jeff Banks can hold, hold, hold up. Hold up one second. Educate me real quick on, you know, who Zach Smith is at Ohio State and where he would fit into the Alabama coaching staff. Because I don't know who he is. Well, I quite frankly, I just heard his name a couple of days ago, and I did some research. He played for Urban at Florida and has been with him ever okay. since. Uh, he is the recruiting coordinator at uh, at the Ohio State University, and he is the wide receivers coach. So. That's okay, kind of so where he, he would, recruits off campus. Yes, he does. And so okay. he would be a great recruiter. And then you could have you a Hugh Freeze off, maybe off as an analyst, helping with the game planning offensively for a year, and then perhaps move him uh, back onto the field. Uh, then you could have maybe a Chris Winkie as quarterback coach, as you mentioned. Uh, but uh, again, we'll see. Uh, I was told that if that happened, it might happen after signing day. Uh, but, again, that's just uh, an, another name that has uh, popped up. And, quite frankly, I had to look him up. I wasn't familiar with his history, but you know how Ohio State recruits. Uh, and, obviously sure. – and, and and we know with the way the, the, the changing landscape in this co- in this, uh, in this league, William, with Jeremy Pruitt now at Tennessee, what Kirby Smart's doing at Georgia, uh, what Dan Mullen's trying to do at Florida. It's a shark tank. And uh, Jimbo at Texas A&M – Nick Saban was not satisfied, I don't think, with how this coaching staff was recruiting. And I've just been told, as you already said, Carl Dunbar likely going back to the NFL after signing day. Nick Saban trying to get in a bunch of new young blood uh, into this uh, coaching staff, and especially from a recruiting aspect. Well, and I think what you're looking at there, Drew, is is, is a, <clears throat> a veteran head coach you know, looking at the, the, the recruiting landscape, let, let's, let's be honest, um, he's got a national recruiting um, footprint that he can operate out of, number one. Number two, Alabama under Nick Saban has never been dependent on Georgia players. I mean, you know, truth be told, the best player that Nick Saban has signed out of Georgia um, was a three-star offensive guard named Chance Warmack. But I think what he is savvy enough to see is that, you know, Kirby is selling Nick Saban's age, um, the depth chart, number one. And, you know, Kirby's probably going to keep the best, the majority of the best players from Georgia, you know, in Georgia. And, you know, you've got, you know, Willie Taggart at Florida State, Dan Mullen at Florida. Uh, you know, Kirby's going to go down there. You got, you know, uh, Mark Rick at Miami. And even though that, that Nick's never been really dependent on Georgia players, they've done a great job of pulling elite players out of the state of Florida. But I think that's going to be tightened up a little bit with, with these recent coaching hires. And you, if you look at what he's done so far, you know, with Jeff Banks, uh, with a DB's coach from uh, Texas Tech. Carl Scott. Uh, Golding. Yes. Uh, you know, Golding, bringing him in. You know, you know, those three guys have huge relationships from Houston back through the state of Louisiana going east to the state of Mississippi. And, you know, it, it's no secret that um, the state of Mississippi and the state of Louisiana has, you know, once in a generation talent level for the 2019 class. So that's a very calculated move by Nick, which impresses me um, to bring these guys in. And, you know, it's still up in the air, Drew, about, you know, whether Tosh LaPoy or Pete Golding is, is you know, going to be, they're going to be co-defensive coordinators. Um, and, you know, they did make a run, you know, at Corey Raymond, but, you know, Raymond didn't like the fact that he would be um, a co-defensive coordinator. But, I, you know, I, I know for a fact that Tosh LaPoy has a great working relationship um, with Pete Golding. And however that, you know, relationship works out with who's going to call the plays, I don't see that being a divisive factor on the staff. Um, Tosh Lapoy loves, uh, you know, the energy and the ideas that, that Pete Golding has brought to the program, and those two guys work very well together day by day. And, you know, I think that's going to be a huge thing 
um, going forward with the coaching staff. And what you're what you're seeing is um, the guys that Nick Saban has circled the wagons with, and I think it's so obvious, you know, with with what's going on. He's kept his two national recruiters. He's kept Tosh Lapoy that can go out west, that can go to the east coast, wherever he wants to go, Tosh Lapoy is going to get his recruits. And he's kept Mike Loxley, who, you know, has a good a good rep in Texas, but, you know, his, his magic has worked probably in Florida and up the eastern seaboard. And he's bringing in these guys slowly but surely that have all these deep relationships from their times you know, at smaller schools, you know, Delta State, you know, Louisiana, Monroe, whatever. Um, he, 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 he's being methodical about this thing. And I think he knows that's the key. Um, you know, to be honest with you, Drew, um, I think that without even making these changes, and we still have to address the uh, Carl Dunbar departure if it happens after national signing day but i think if you address what's going on right now um you know i think that nick saban is making up for lost time i think he realizes that he allowed his coaching staff um for the past 18 months to be lazy uh they they weren't cutthroat recruiters and he realizes that and you'll see that reflected you know, in the 2018 class that they signed. But he's not going to allow it to happen going forward. And you, your, your ass better be able to recruit real well in the state of Mississippi, Louisiana, and from Houston, Texas, eastward. And he's already putting a lot of trust in Pete Golden because Carl Scott worked with him at the southeastern Louisiana and Tusculum. Uh, he's already gotten really high marks from the people that I've talked to who – kind of vetted him and seeing what he was doing. Of course, the, a lot of the, some of the fan base was underwhelmed because it was two years at Texas Tech and he had been at Louisiana Lafayette going to be uh, work, uh, coordinating the defense for Billy Napier. But still, I mean, uh, I think Pete Golding, I'm, I'm, I've got it on mute, but I'm sitting here watching this mock draft 1.0 two-hour special uh, with Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay. And who is the 14th pick in the first round that they have projected to the Green Bay Packers? Marcus Davenport defensive end Texas San Antonio just let that sink in just a little bit because guess who his defensive well, coordinator got... was Pete Golding and Pete his defensive Golding. line coach was of course uh Bo Davis and we'll see if does Bo Davis fit back in this equation maybe not I, but I'm I do... glad I'm glad you brought that up Greg yep um as soon as I, I figured out and, and saw that Nick Saban was going down this, you know, dark and lonely road with, with Hugh Freeze. Um, you know, just like you, I know where uh, the recommendation came from for Pete Golding. And, you know, I started thinking about the fact that there's a lot of rumors out there that Carl Dunbar is going to go back to the NFL after National Signing Day. Um, if, if Nick Saban can float Hugh Freeze um, up the, the ladder chain to be uh, either an on-the-field coach or an analyst. We're still in limbo about how that's going to work out. Um, if, if, if Carl Dunbar decides to depart, uh, I can almost damn guarantee you he's going to make a run at Bo Davis. And I know for I a fact... I can see it. I know for a fact that since Bo Davis departed um, the Mount Moore facility in Tuscaloosa, I know for a fact that every D-line evaluation that's taken place since he's been gone has been emailed to him in San Antonio, and he's made them. We've heard the same thing. I've heard that he's still been involved, and he couldn't, he wouldn't be able to recruit off campus until not this March, but a year from this March, but uh, they could probably work around that. Uh, you know, at the very least, he could be brought back as an analyst, uh, quote unquote, uh, off the field for a year before coming back on the field. Uh, that's why I thought we might see Dunbar stay for another season, but we'll have to see. I wish he you know, would, to be honest yeah. with you. But right, 
Right. I mean, and then maybe go back to the NFL. Maybe that'll happen. Uh, I, I'm hearing he'll, he'll likely depart, but we will see. And matter of fact, uh, he was announced officially today as the Raiders defensive backfield uh, coach. But, uh, you know, as we know, Derek Ainsley was going to go be the defensive coordinator at Colorado State. And here's what the, him taking the job with the Raiders, the dominoes that caused. Wesley Neighbors was set to take a job uh, as a uh, defensive assistant for Colorado State. And Bo Davis had agreed to be the defensive line coach at Colorado State. But when D.A. decided to go to the Raiders, it deep-sixed both of them. And so we see Wesley Neighbors deciding, even though Colorado State came back and sweetened the, their offer and, and uh, you know decided they wanted to, Wesley to come be a part of the program, he decided to still go to uh, Lane Kiffin. He'd already given him his word. And then, with, of course, with his brother there, I think played a factor also as far as comfort level. Uh, but, again, uh, and then we see Bo Davis is still at Texas San Antonio. So going to be very interested to see – uh, if Carl Dunbar goes back, what Nick Saban does with Bo Davis and and uh, what they do because they've still got Tosh Lupoi. I think Pete Golden is going to be a great hire. I like the energy he brings. I like what I've heard. Uh, I you know I think he and Tosh are definitely going to be co-DCs. And now they've got Carl Scott at safeties coach, and I'm hearing they're going to bring in a corners coach, but very possibly they're you know still interviewing a lot of guys. Former Alabama defensive back Jason Jones, who has been with you Freeze at Ole Miss. He's been interviewed, and, you know, there could even be another ultimate card to be played. But we'll have to, you know, kind of see if that happens and if and when it would be announced So because it, it could have an effect on recruiting. Uh, but uh, we'll see. I mean, they, I, I don't think Nick Saban, he's not leaving any stone unturned because he knows Georgia's coming. Uh, he knows uh, that Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt are going to do a lot of things. And from what I understand is we're going to wrap it up here in these next few minutes uh, in recruiting – uh, it, it looks like because uh, because of the numbers and because of who they think they can get that they Alabama may not sign a linebacker uh, with these last eight spots. Vernon Jackson is committed and visiting this weekend, but Texas and Texas A&M have made a big push. Quay Walker got his fifth star today, but uh, likely will visit Georgia instead of Alabama this weekend. He may not visit Alabama. He could end up moving on. But as you've said, William, based upon what they did last year at linebacker, it's more important to maybe get two more DBs and make sure you sign five DBs in this class. And I do think, based upon what's left on the board, that they have a chance to get two very good DBs left to add to the other three they've already signed. Yeah, I think if they can get that, Drew, it would be huge. Um, you know, it's an either-or situation, I think, between uh, uh, Petit Faree and, and, and the Sewell guy. Um, they're only going to take one more offensive lineman. Um, you know, I think where it becomes tricky is, you know, if they can get, you know, uh, Jacob Copeland, Justin Ross, and uh, uh, Waddle. You know, I think that's where that gets a little bit tricky there. But, you know, the, the, I think, you know, even though this class that they're signing, it, it really isn't getting a lot of hoopla. They've met their needs. I mean, they, they got the guys at D-line. They got the guys at corner. Um, you know, the rest of it's going to get filled in. You know, for the people that want to look at stars and, you know, w what the number one class is, I would say um, fast forward over this class and look at 2019 because they've already got uh, three of the top five players from the state of Alabama locked up. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. But um, I, I'm really impressed with the way that Nick's going about these coaching hires and how they're, they're you know, what their relationships are in the state of Mississippi and Louisiana. Yeah, I mean, I think I they definitely think they're taking are going to going to really start assaulting Louisiana with Ed Ogeron's program on shaky ground, uh, and which means to me, Patrick Sertain, uh, his visit this weekend is uh, going to be huge because he I, I wouldn't hide strap my wagon to Coach O even with Dave Aranda there, uh, and we'll see you know kind of what Alabama might do to set themselves up uh, with uh, Sertain. Uh, and and even uh, Tyson Campbell, though I think Campbell, uh, it's very real that uh, he could end up at Georgia. But don't forget Eddie Smith, and he's a Louisiana kid from Salmon, Louisiana. 
Uh, I think he's a big-time prospect along the lines of an Eddie Jackson. Uh, I think he could be added because he's supposed to visit next weekend, even though I know Jeremy Pruitt uh, is, is heavily involved with him too. But I do think uh, when you look at it, and it looks like Alabama may add a quarterback because it's it's a very real that Jalen Hurts could transfer. So Brock Purdy has been offered. I, though I will say this, I've, I've broached this subject with some other people. Could he, could he blue shirt because it wouldn't hurt his career at all? which would let Alabama maybe add a linebacker and keep a linebacker in the class like a Vernon Jackson, who I'm very high on. But I guess we'll see kind of how all the, a lot of that plays out this weekend because, again, Vernon is slated to be on campus along with Nicholas petit Friere, along with Tyson Campbell, along with Patrick Sertain. Uh, now, uh, you know, it's gonna, so it's going to be really interesting. And then next weekend, Brock Purdy will be in town, Isaac Taylor-Stewart. Uh, but we'll talk about that next week, and we'll talk about the recruiting fallout. This has been a really great conversation, a really quick hour and about 10 minutes on the air with you guys. But we always know you guys love BAMS Radio. We love the listeners, and thank you for supporting this podcast. I want to thank you know Thomas Watts uh, the, from The Wizard Behind the Curtain for producing today. William, great conversation, great insight into how he thinks this uh, coaching staff's being built. And we hope everybody has a great weekend. Uh, and, uh, of course, those that can make it out to the parade in Tuscaloosa, support the program. Uh, you know, you may even see some of those uh, highly touted recruits there. Uh, and, of course, you'll, uh, we'll see, I'm sure, a lot of, of airtime for Tua Tungvaloa, the first uh, big-time airtime. Even though, I, from what I understand on Twitter, he also spoke tonight to the women's basketball team, gave them a speech. So he's already starting to kind of assert himself. But you'll see this entire team, including some of the seniors, and juniors that are probably going out for the draft like a Minka Fitzpatrick so for the last time. So go out and support them. Then, of course, basketball at 730. I'll be in Tuscaloosa, so will Thomas Watts. Look forward to that. But we'll come to you next week for more BAMS Radio. We hope everybody has a great weekend and roll tide. And uh, thank you for listening tonight. A great hour, and I hope uh, you enjoy it. And uh, we look forward to the feedback from the listeners and continuing this great podcast. But we will talk to you next week. Roll tide, everybody. And another edition of BAMS Radio in the books.